Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Tuesday, February 6th. Happy Pay a Compliment Day. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Y'all are really good listeners. You're all very attractive and pretty good dancers too. And Saturday was ice cream for breakfast day, which is a bad idea. But I only bring it up because today is National Frozen Yogurt Day. And Froger is okay, but it's trash next to good top shelf ice cream. I agree with Ron Swanson who said, Dear Frozen Yogurt, you are the celery of desserts. Be ice cream or be nothing. Word. And every now and then, all the B-System doctors will try to convince us that eating Frogurt instead of ice cream is the healthy choice. Cause it's made with milk instead of cream and has like cultures or something. But don't fall for it. It might be slightly healthier than ice cream, but it's still just diabetes in a cup. Besides, for most of us, if you're gonna eat ice cream, you're gonna eat the whole pint. And if you're me, you're eating two. And there's four servings to a pint. So when it says 300 calories and 39 grams of carbs per dinky little serving, multiply that by four or eight. Darn, it's almost like the beast system wants us to eat ourselves to death, ain't it? Nah, that's crazy talk. And I was gonna say, if you're doing ice cream for breakfast, you should try to find the lowest carb, lowest calorie ice cream that you can. But it sounded just as stupid to me too when I heard myself say it. Because number one, I've tried that fake low-carb trash, and it's like eating frozen wood glue. And B, I figure if we're eating ice cream for breakfast, or at all really, we're way past nutrition labels. Fretting over the carb count in your daily quart of ice cream is kind of like that girl I saw one time at the convenience store, wearing a mask because she was so worried about her respiratory health, buying cigarettes, and beer, and ice cream actually. Our reading for today is Exodus 23:14 through 25:40, Matthew 24:29 through 51, Psalm 31 through 12, and Proverbs 7:24 through 27. So if y'all are ready, I showed this calendar gag to the squaw, and now she wants frozen custard from Culver's, and she's right, that stuff's legit. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squaw do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday on the fifth in the Old Testament. We read Exodus 21:22 through 23:13, and God is still giving rules to Moses up on the mountain. And they're fairly straightforward, except right off the bat, we get something that hangs everybody up. He says, "If any mischief follow, then thou shalt give life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burning for burning, wound for wound, stripe for stripe." Now some folks say, "An eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind," but those people are wrong. Number one, that's just a meaningless platitude. It might sound smart when your college professor says it, but it means nothing to reality. And B, the real idea of eye for an eye is, wait for it, reciprocity of justice, that the punishment should fit the crime. And this was a revolutionary leap forward in jurisprudence, because in the pagan cultures, you were basically at the whim of whatever dictator hadn't been murdered for his throne yet. If you had a problem, you could take it to the crown, and maybe you'd get justice, or maybe the magistrate would burn down the whole village and murder everybody in it because he felt like it. Go back to that if you want to, but I prefer a system where the victim has a right of retribution and the perpetrator has protections against cruel and unusual punishment. And third, what else exactly are these people expected to do? These are desert-dwelling nomads, and it's all they can do to survive, usually. They spend all their energy cultivating food, clothing, and shelter, 
And for every person that doesn't work on those three things, somebody else has to work twice as hard to support them. So they don't have the resources to waste on a police department, lawyers, judges, and prison guards. And everybody they might put in prison costs double, because not only does somebody else have to feed him, that's one more farmhand they don't have. So no, God's way is better. And then he says if he smite out his servant's tooth or eye, they go free. So again, slaves have rights. And if your animal kills somebody, the animal gets put to death. Unless it had a history of attacking people and you knew about it and didn't take proper steps to control it, then you do too. And he finished this chapter with a few rules about how to handle negligence. In chapter 22, he says, if you catch a thief in your house at night and you kill him, well, that's just too bad. But if it's daytime, when everybody's up and around working and ought to be able to see him coming and stuff, you're not allowed to kill him. You have to let him make restitution. Unless he attacks you, then all bets are off. But if he can't make restitution, then he's sold into servitude, which means he goes free after seven years, if you'll remember. So that's basically their answer to prison. Then we get several rules about restitution for theft and what constitutes theft versus like just a loss you had no control over. But it says, For all manner of trespass, the cause of both parties shall come before the judges. And whom the judges shall condemn, he shall pay double unto his neighbor. No one is allowed to take the law into their own hands. You got to bring it to the priests. Then in verse 18, he says, Thou shalt not suffer a witch to live, period. Certainly because it's blasphemous, but also because witches are in opposition to and will probably devote themselves to working against all this law that he's laying down. And that's reasonable. Devote yourself to working against U.S. law and see what happens to you. And then he says, Whosoever lieth with a beast shall surely be put to death. Because it's unnatural for sure, but some folks say this also has something to do with all that Nephilim trouble from back in Genesis. And there's still giants around at this time, but we'll get to that. The idea is, you know how all those old gods and creatures from like Greek mythology and stuff were all like half man, half bull, or goat, or had snakes for hair or some such? Well, some say it wasn't just humans that the Benai Elohim were experimenting on. I'm not saying it is, and I'm not saying it ain't. I'm just saying some people say that. And then he says, He that sacrificeth unto any god, save the Lord only, he shall be utterly destroyed. And don't oppress strangers, widows, or orphans, or just anybody vulnerable, really. And then usury is outlawed, which is loaning money at interest. Talking to you, mortgage company. And if you loan somebody money and take his raiment as collateral, you gotta give it back by sundown so he can stay warm. He says, Thou shalt not revile the gods, nor curse the ruler of thy people. And the word translated gods is Elohim, but that can also be defined as judges or rulers, which the big G God is, but here it's talking about like human magistrates and judges. And I think the idea is God puts these people in charge, so don't second guess him. And then he says, don't delay in giving your offering of first fruits, and don't eat any flesh that is torn of beasts in the field, because it's unsanitary. Let the dogs have it. And then in chapter 23, he says, don't make false reports or lie as a witness. Even if everybody's ganging up to speak evil, don't get involved in that mob. But I think this verse applies to how judges should conduct themselves. So maybe he's saying, even if the whole town wants an unjust ruling, you should still rule fairly. Neither shalt thou countenance a poor man in his cause. Just because you have pity on somebody doesn't automatically make them right. Treat people equally, because God does. If your neighbor's animals get out, round them up for him, even if you hate your neighbor. Verse 8, don't take bribes. Verse 10, crop rotation. Farm your land for six years and then let it lay fallow for one. Animals can graze on it and the poor can glean from it, but that's it. 
What the Jews did was to divide their land into seven sections and rotate the fallow part yearly. That way they can farm all the time. And he mentions again keeping the Sabbath day and having no other gods. Those are both very important. And that's as far as we read. Wisdom and understanding is available through the law of God in all aspects of life. And then in the New Testament, we read Matthew 24, 1-28. And Jesus just got done owning the Pharisees. Then he drops the mic and walks out with his people right behind him. And his disciples came to him for to shew him the buildings of the temple. And we're talking about Herod's temple, what they call the second temple. Herod's temple was one of the larger construction projects of the first century B.C. He built it as a favor to the Jews, but also as a monument to himself. And Wikipedia says his masterpiece was the 40-acre temple of Jerusalem. So the disciples were understandably impressed and expected Jesus to be also. He was not. Jesus said unto them, See ye not all these things? Verily I say unto you, There shall not be left here one stone upon another that shall not be thrown down. Which is exactly what happened in 70 AD. Because in 66 AD, Judea rebelled against the Romans, which went about as well as you'd expect. The Romans slaughtered thousands. My understanding is they intended to loot the temple of all the gold. But somebody set it on fire and all the gold melted. So they had to take it apart stone by stone to remove all the melted gold. The historian Josephus says it was because the Romans thought there was gold hidden in the walls of the temple and that's why they took it apart. Either way, they did tear the whole temple apart once it burned. So Jesus was right again. Then Jesus gives what they call the Olivet Discourse. When the disciples came unto him privately saying, What shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? So he spells it out for them, as much as they're allowed to know anyway. He says, Take heed that no man deceive you, for many shall come in my name, saying, I am Christ, and shall deceive many. And some will literally say that, but he also means the false religious leaders that promise salvation of various kinds. Like, for example, the transhumanists promise eternal life, and the environmentalists promise atonement for the original sin of pollution. That kind of thing. And ye shall hear wars and rumors of wars, see that ye be not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. Every time a war breaks out, somebody wants to say it's the end times. But Jesus right here specifically says that's not the end times. He says there'll be all kinds of natural disasters and Christians will be persecuted and betrayed and such, but that's to be expected. And it's only the beginning. Many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And seems like there's a new one of those every couple weeks nowadays. And cause iniquity, immorality, shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. But he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. But one sign that the end is coming will be that this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. But what you should really watch out for is the abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. And what he's referring to was when the Seleucid king Antiochus Epiphanes, whose name means God manifest, and who hated the Jews, like a lot, slaughtered a pig in the temple about 167-ish B.C., which set off the Maccabean Revolt, which is why we have Hanukkah today. And Jesus used that example because it's something they all would have known about. But what he's talking about is when the Antichrist will stand in the temple and proclaim himself to be God, which has not happened yet. But when it does, then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains, like right now. Don't even grab your coat. For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. And Christians and Jews have been going through tribulation ever since there have been Christians and Jews. 
But the Great Tribulation is a specific time period, namely the second half of the 70th week of Daniel. But let's not get ahead of ourselves. Whatever, it's going to be bad. So if any man shall say unto you, Lo, here is Christ, or there, believe it not. Literally saying, here is Christ, but also anybody who offers salvation or redemption or another real truth or anything that seeks to take the place of Christ. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets and shall shew great signs and wonders. They'll even do miracles, in other words, or what appear to be miracles anyway, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. Then he says, for as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Instant and everywhere, I think is the idea here. And verse 28 says, For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. So what does that mean? Well, he just got done talking a lot about not following false Christ. So the carcass is probably those who follow false religions. And the eagles are maybe the spirits of destruction that are going to fall on them when Christ returns like lightning. Different commentaries have different interpretations, some of which are downright stupid. But I think that one is probably close to the truth. But that's where we stopped reading. So we're promised trouble, but Jesus says to see to it, we aren't troubled by it. Now that takes confidence in God, not a dead religion. Knowing the Lord, growing in the knowledge of his word by reading and meditating on it, gives us the confidence to stay the course, the confidence to bear fruit that lasts. And then in Psalms, we read Psalm 29, 1-11. And David's preaching to give the Lord the glory and honor that he is due, because he's powerful and full of majesty. And he will give strength unto his people and bless his people with peace. Amen. And there's no strength apart from the Lord. We can do nothing without him. And then in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 7, 6 through 23. And Solomon tells a little story about how he looked out his window and watched some fool in the street, a young man void of understanding, chasing after a harlot in the dark of night, as if to say he was trying to hide his actions, which implies he knew it was a stupid thing to do, but he did it anyway. And she's like, I was looking for you, been waiting on you, which there always are traps ready and waiting for stupid people. And she's like, look, I got a really nice place and I'll let you do all kinds of gnarly things in here. The Goodman is not home. God's not watching, in other words, or literally my husband's gone. Either way, it works. And he goeth after her straightway as an ox goeth to the slaughter or as a fool to the correction of the stocks, as a bird hasteth to the snare and knoweth not that it is for his life. But at some point, a dart is going to strike through his liver, either figuratively, as in actions have consequences, or literally, as in her husband's going to bury him in the woods. So we see a young man bored, restless, curious, and looking for what he can find. Adultery or unfaithfulness to God can cost us our life too. We're told to flee things that ensnare us, flee unholy bonds like Joseph did. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for February 6th is Exodus 23:14 through 25:40. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. Thou shalt keep the feast of unleavened bread. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded thee, in the time appointed of the month Abib, for in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. And the feast of harvest, the firstfruits of thy labors which thou hast sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering, which is in the end of the year, when thou hast gathered in thy labors out of the field. Three times in the year all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until the morning. 
The first of the firstfruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see the kid in his mother's milk. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee in the way, and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Beware of him, and obey his voice. Provoke him not, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. But if thou shalt indeed obey his voice, and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies, and an adversary unto thine adversaries. For mine angel shall go before thee, and bring thee in unto the Amorites, and the Hittites, and the Perizzites, and the Canaanites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, and I will cut them off. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their works. But thou shalt utterly overthrow them, and quite break down their images. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he shall bless thy bread, and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. There shall nothing cast their young, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. I will send my fear before thee, and will destroy all the people to whom thou shalt come. And I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. And I will send hornets before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate, and the beast of the field multiply against thee. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee, until thou be increased, and inherit the land. And I will set thy bounds from the Red Sea, even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the desert unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee. Chapter 24 And he said unto Moses, Come up unto the Lord, thou and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel, and worship ye afar off. And Moses alone shall come near the Lord, but they shall not come nigh, neither shall the people go up with him. And Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord, and all the judgments. And all the people answered with one voice, and said, All the words which the Lord hath said we will do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and rose up early in the morning, and builded an altar under the hill, and twelve pillars, according to the twelve tribes of Israel. And he sent young men of the children of Israel, which offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen unto the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he sprinkled on the altar. And he took the book of the covenant and read it in the audience of the people. And they said, All that the Lord hath said, we will do and be obedient. And Moses took the blood and sprinkled it on the people, and said, Behold the blood of the covenant which the Lord hath made with you concerning all these words. Then went up Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and seventy of the elders of Israel. And they saw the God of Israel. And there was under his feet, as it were, a paved work of a sapphire stone, and as it were, the body of heaven in his clearness. And upon the nobles of the children of Israel he laid not his hand. Also they saw God and did eat and drink. And the Lord said unto Moses, Come up to me into the mount, and be there, and I will give thee tables of stone, and a law, and commandments which I have written, that thou mayest teach them. And Moses rose up, and his minister Joshua, and Moses went up into the mount of God. And he said unto the elders, Tarry ye here for us until we come again unto you. And behold, Aaron and Hur are with you. If any man have any matters to do, let him come unto them. And Moses went up into the mount, and a cloud covered the mount. And the glory of the Lord abode upon Mount Sinai, and the cloud covered it six days. And the seventh day he called unto Moses out of the midst of the cloud. And the sight of the glory of the Lord was like devouring fire on the top of the mount in the eyes of the children of Israel. 
And Moses went into the midst of the cloud, and gat him up into the mount. And Moses was in the mount forty days and forty nights. Chapter 25 And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, that they bring me an offering. Of every man that giveth it willingly with his heart, ye shall take my offering. And this is the offering which ye shall take of them, gold and silver and brass, and blue and purple and scarlet, and fine linen and goat's hair, and ram skins dyed red, and badgered skins, and shittim wood, oil for the light, spices for anointing oil, and for sweet incense, onyx stones, and stones to be set in the ephod, and in the breastplate. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I shew thee after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be borne with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark, they shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold, of beaten work shalt thou make them, in the two ends of the mercy seat, and make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end. Even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. Toward the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark, and in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims, which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I will give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. Thou shalt also make a table of shittim wood. Two cubits shall be the length thereof, and a cubit the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, and make thereto a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt make unto it a border of an handbreadth round about. And thou shalt make a golden crown to the border thereof round about. And thou shalt make for it four rings of gold, and put the rings in the four corners that are on the four feet thereof. Over against the border shall the rings be, for places of the staves to bear the table. And thou shalt make the staves of shittim wood, and overlay them with gold, that the table may be borne with them. And thou shalt make the dishes thereof, and spoons thereof, and covers thereof, and bowls thereof, to cover withal. Of pure gold shalt thou make them. And thou shalt set upon the table shewbread before me alway. And thou shalt make a candlestick of pure gold. Of beaten work shall the candlestick be made. His shaft and his branches, his bowls, his knops, and his flowers shall be of the same. And six branches shall come out of the sides of it, three branches of the candlestick out of the one side, and three branches of the candlestick out of the other side, three bowls made like unto almonds with a knop and a flower in one branch, and three bowls made like almonds in the other branch, with a knop and a flower, so in the six branches that come out of the candlestick. And in the candlestick shall be four bowls made like unto almonds with their knops and their flowers. And there shall be a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, and a knop under two branches of the same, according to the six branches that proceed out of the candlestick. Their knops and their branches shall be of the same, 
All it shall be one beaten work of pure gold. And thou shalt make the seven lamps thereof, and they shall light the lamps thereof, that they may give light over against it. And the tongs thereof, and the snuff dishes thereof, shall be of pure gold. Of a talent of pure gold shall he make with it, with all these vessels. And look that thou make them after their pattern, which was shewed thee in the mount. Our reading in the New Testament for February 6th is Matthew 24, 29-51. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken, and then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender, and putteth forth leaves, ye know that summer is nigh. So likewise ye, when ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. But of that day and hour knoweth no man. No, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark, and knew not until the flood came, and took them all away. So shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken and the other left. Two women shall be grinding at the mill, the one shall be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the goodman of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not the Son of Man cometh. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his Lord hath made ruler over his household, to give them meat in due season? Blessed is that servant, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Verily I say unto you, that he shall make him ruler over all his goods." But, and if that evil servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to smite his fellow servants, and to eat and drink with the drunken, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour that he is not aware of, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Our reading in Psalms for February 6th is Psalm 30, 1-12. A psalm and song at the dedication of the house of David. I will extol thee, O Lord, for thou hast lifted me up, and hast not made my foes to rejoice over me. O Lord my God, I cried unto thee, and thou hast healed me. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. Sing unto the Lord, O ye saints of his, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endureth but a moment, and his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. And in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by thy favor, thou hast made my mountain to stand strong. Thou didst hide thy face, and I was troubled. I cried to thee, O Lord, and unto the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Shall the dust praise thee? Shall it declare thy truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy upon me. Lord, be thou my helper. Thou hast turned for me my mourning into dancing. Thou hast put off my sackcloth and girded me with gladness, to the end that my glory may sing praise to thee and not be silent. 
O Lord my God, I will give thanks unto thee forever. And our reading in Proverbs for February 6th is Proverbs 7, 24-27. Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline to her ways, go not astray in her paths. For she hath cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Her house is the way to hell, going down to the chambers of death. And that's got it for the sixth. Okay, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is about Genesis 6-5, which says, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a few times, and meditate with me for a little while on the repentance of the wicked, because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, in the days of Noah, wickedness abounded, far more than today, though it would if you'd permit it. Because you were holy, you judged their sin, and because you are just, you warned them of coming judgment. Those who would believe Noah and repent were welcome to board the ark before the waters began to rise. Yet after 120 years, only Noah and his family were saved. We thank you, Lord, that we listened, and ask that the wicked today would repent and draw to you and be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible, y'all, and I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and keep everybody listening and let this podcast be helpful to them somehow. Amen. You can find us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google CastBox, and Facebook. If you like what we're doing and you want to support it, what I really need you to do is pray for me and Bible Y'all Squaw and all our friends and family. And if you got anything you want us to pray for you about, email me at BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you ain't going to make things any better, just don't make them any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all. For if thou serve their gods, it will surely be a snare unto thee.